I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, in the last show of the year, we speak to our reporters around the country and assess the good, the bad and the not very pretty to look at across the festive football period. It's all change at West Ham as Manuel Pellegrini is replaced by returning sort of hero David Moyes. Will he inspire a dramatic uptick in form like management genius Nigel Pearson and his Italian Champions League winning equivalent Carlo Ancelotti? Only time will tell. Plus, Liverpool still very good. Manchester United appeared to be getting there and Manchester City and Chelsea are both simultaneously good and bad somehow. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by today for one day only. It's a one-woman panel and it's Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? I'm good. good. I'm feeling really lonely here well, on this we've, panel. we've spread out. I've got my jumper draped on a chair. Your bag is in the position that Matt Law would normally be yeah. occupying. Miss JJ too. We do miss JJ. His, his seat is empty out of respect. <laughs> but it's very nice and cool in here. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, body, um, the body heat deficit has definitely helped us. I think we should start this show, as we all imagine we would be starting the show in December 2019, by talking about Nigel Pearson, Mina. What an appointment this has been for Watford. I mean, people were confused about it, including myself. Um, but how has he done it? How has he proved the doubters wrong? Because there have been some really big, impressive wins for Watford since he took over. I think that he's just a, he's a man who loves adversity and he, he loves being told that you can't do something. If he believes that they can, then they will. And that's something that he showed when he was at Leicester City and he kept them up. And now he's doing that for um, for Watford as well. And it's just it's amazing how he's gotten them to really commit themselves, how how much you can see the players are really determined to actually get in the goals to do to do a better job and I think that kind of commitment and and passion for the game is what he's brought in if you look at them they're not actually much better as a team if anything they're worse their passing accuracy has gone down um they don't keep the they don't keep possession of the ball as much in fact they register one 39% but it doesn't matter because that is what it's supposed to be he's he's like I don't care about being pretty I don't care about all these stats I care about winning the game so if I have to make you more defensively solid uh, and more determined to get the goals you know spread the play quickly like let's just move up the pitch as far as you know as quickly as we can and just get the get the results and I like that kind of pragmatic approach yeah it does make you wonder slightly about how committed the players were under Kike Sanchez Flores and um, 
Who's his predecessor? The other fellow. There's so many Watford managers. He just loses. It just track, keeps changing. You? Yeah, but yeah, I do. I, I, I think Pearson might just be the the guy to get him out of it. They did sort of look slightly adrift at some point this year, but I think they've. Uh, they've you got believe in them now? Step. I do. I think. I think they'll stay up. I think they. We. You can get into that way of thinking early in the season when a team's eight or so points of safety, but that can change so quickly, especially with the festive pictures, uh, the, the festive fixtures coming so thick and fast. So a good festive period for Nigel Pearson and Watford, but a bad one for Manuel Pellegrini, who we have to say goodbye to. Do you put a lot of the blame for West Ham's current malaise on Pellegrini? It's a difficult one because, you see, I've been in love with Pellegrini for a while, um, especially his Malaga side. And if there was any ever a coach who really got players on board, it was Pellegrini. I mean, even at Real Madrid, he had a lot of fans from a, a tough dressing room. But he's just the kind of guy that when, you know, like when his father passed away, Malaga players were like, we're going to get you through this. We're going to be amazing in the Champions League. So to see him not really doing that at West Ham is quite shocking. Um, obviously, he was the man who had a say in the director of sport. They've made some strange decisions such as, you know, Roberto and in, in, as, uh, you know, in his awful displays at, uh, at the goalkeeping post when they lost Fabianski proved all a bit of a disaster. And I think the fact that he just couldn't really get the best out of certain players, you know, Carlos Sanchez, Issa Diop has fallen this season. I don't know why Declan Rice looks like he's so short on confidence. It's that kind of psychological ability that, you know, the team looks dead and buried. And I thought that Pellegrini would be a man that usually can get the best out of players, but he hasn't really managed to with West Ham. I don't think the blame lies squarely on him. But, um, and I, I certainly think the director of sport wasn't great either, but um, I, I feel sorry for him. But at the end of the day, there had to be a change. You mentioned strange decisions. None stranger, surely, than going back to David Moyes. This seems like such an unusual appointment to me. I get that Moyes is a pragmatic manager who did a fairly, I think I think you can be a little bit harsh on, on what he did at West Ham before. He kept them up in trying circumstances. But... You feel like every managerial appointment is a time to make the fans get behind the club again and, uh, you know, have a little bit of a spur. And this is not that, is it? You cannot imagine many West Ham fans are happy to see Moyes back. It's interesting. So you do. What, what do you think, though? What's your personal? Would you have gone for David Moyes? It's tough. We I was talking about this in uh, one of my WhatsApp groups about who would be the most West Hammy appointment. <laughs> and I, we were all saying, well, it'll be someone flash like they're... they're Owners seem to really like a big splashy appointment, and we're, well, we're wondering like, what's Villas Boas up to at the moment? But there's, ah. there's not a tremendous number of those managers out of work. I think Moyes is okay. I, I just think it's there is something to the idea of never go back. I think, and I think it it, it speaks to. I think the the problem at West Ham is much bigger than the manager. I think the decisions being made by the ownership there uh, have, have been pretty dreadful now for a long time, and it just seems so regressive to me. And you know, I, I would have liked almost to see them take a chance on someone younger or someone who's doing well at a lower level. But even then, you wonder, like, who's it going to be? They're not going to go back in for Slavin Bilic, who's doing well in the championship. Yeah. They're probably not going to get Bielsa from Leeds. So I appreciate it's a tough time to find a new person. I, I just think Moyes is a very strange one. I think that what you're describing there is I think that, you know, with the, when it comes to the two owners, I don't think they're also on board with each other because you feel like gold 
was a big fan of Moyes. He didn't really want to, David Gold didn't want to let him go. But at the same time, David Sullivan wanted that kind of philosophy and a man that was splashy and like, yeah, let's get a Carlo Ancelotti and, you know, like, let's get Pellegrini and build something special under him and play good football and make it fantastic to watch. And I think there isn't necessarily that agreement on an ownership level. So you can sort of see the mixtures that they have on the field because you've got some pragmatic players and then you've got all these flashy players too and you're sort of looking at Felipe Anderson being like, come on, you have to do something now. And at the same time, you're like, Declan Rice, hold it all together. So it's, I think there's just so much confusion in every level. Um, But I feel like now, you know, Gold gets what he wants. He gets Moyes back, I guess. And let's just see what he can build. Yeah, you certainly feel like if Moyes can get them out of this, that's an incredible achievement for him. So, fingers crossed for him and West Ham. Let's head to the regions now and talk to our man in Manchester. How was your festive period, James? Uh, yes, very enjoyable. Uh, I can't say on this that it's been ruined by football, can I? <laughs> Just away. No. no, no, it's been very, been very enjoyable. Thank you very much. Football makes everything great. But uh, a team that is doing rather well at the moment um, is Manchester United. Is it signs that like, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's been, you know, everyone thought he was going to be out by now. Is he doing a good job? Do you think that he deserves to have a say uh, and, and to stay in the club for a while? I certainly wouldn't go as far as to say a good job. Um, <laughs> and I think it's a... I, I, look, they've had back-to-back wins against Newcastle and Burnley, which were, which were much needed, and it's only the second time this season um, and since he became permanent manager that they've put back-to-back league wins together it, it, um, uh, You know, what, over nine months or so now. So, you know, I think most United supporters would look at, at it and say, hopefully it's something to build on. But then they, they thought very much that Tottenham and the Manchester City wins would be that and and they followed that up with a with a draw against Everton mm. and that wretched defeat at Watford. So it's a fragile revival, whether it whether it actually leads to something more substantial and the team can really build some momentum uh, you know, in the early part of twenty twenty we'll have to see. I mean you look at the games next are Arsenal, uh, they've got Wolves in the Cup, they've got Manchester City in the in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup, you know, are, the, you know, traditionally they have been under Solskjaer far better against teams that want to attack, uh, who want the ball and play on the front foot, um, and they're quite happy to see possession to those sides and hit on the break, and that has suited them quite well. Arsenal and City, you would think, will play like that. Wolves less so. They have been very much a bogey team for United. So, so. You know, the next couple of weeks could bring could bring more pain equally. You, you know, if they can put some runs together and finally get some momentum, then you know, then, then maybe they can kick on. But I, I just the, the pattern would suggest that it's going to be difficult for this side to put a run of six, seven wins together. There's, there's just no evidence to suggest that's the case. And and I, I think I think a lot of fans can can see. What Solskjaer is trying to 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 do, he you know he's he's trying to build you know a young squad with uh, you know some exciting attacking players at the core. But you know the reality, you know, is that they need a they need a a lot of um, a lot of players. You know they need yeah. they need a lot of players still. So um, I, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be a quick revival. I think it's going to take 
two or three very good summer, summer transfer windows to to get them back into a position where they they can realistically you challenge for the title, and, and that then goes back to to the question of whether whether the structures and the personnel in place at that club are good enough to preside preside over 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 that that level of success. One of those from young, a recruitment point of view. One of those young players they were after, James, apparently was Erling Haaland, who has ended up at Borussia Dortmund. Was that transfer realistic at any point for Man United? Yeah, I mean, no, no apparently. They were absolutely, he was Solskjaer's leading general transfer target. It's, look, it's an, it's an, the, the Haaland one is interested. There's long, there have been quite deep rooted issues now with. Um, his agent, who's Mina Raiola, and, and the United executive for some time, and I, and I think if they could avoid a situation where they deal don't deal with with Raiola, then they would be happy with that. But I, I don't really think when you have a, an agent with a client roster like that that you can. I think there's a reality that you're going to have to work with him, and obviously he represents several players to the club, Pogba, obviously most especially Sergio Romero. So. You know, you have to work with him. What I think is interesting about Haaland is United are saying that the that certain conditions of the deal that they uh, they weren't prepared to meet, namely um, uh, that the Raiola and Haaland's father, who's Alfie Inga Haaland, the former Manchester City Forest and Leeds midfielder, who was a teammate of Solskjaer for Norway they apparently are going to get a percentage of a future share um, of any uh, sell on under the terms of a buyout and United unprepared to meet those conditions now if that's the case surely they will have known that for a substantial period of time you would think before Solskjaer went out to meet the Harlem camp um, a, a few weeks ago and similarly you know that United certainly from a PR point of view could have got ahead of the curve and, and briefed that look we're backed out of this deal uh, certain conditions don't suit us. They they haven't done that, and obviously there will be a lot of the supporters there who will look at it and think, well, we were into that player right up to the to, to the death, and he's simply gone and chosen Borussia Dortmund. Um, United say that's not the case because there wasn't a decision for him to make in the end because they pulled put backed away. But you know I think it does does ask some questions still. Surely, if ever there was a deal that United were going to get over the line, it it was that one. You know, Solskjaer, long, long, long-standing relationship with Alfie Inge Haaland, uh, was Erling Haaland's manager at Mulder for 18 months. You know, if if United were going to be able to do a deal, you would think it would have been this one. And anyway, he's gone to Borussia Dortmund, who are proving very adept at bringing in uh, good young players. Haaland, if Haaland's a success success there, no doubt they will sell him on for a substantial profit in the future. Uh, but now United are back to having to pursue alternative striking targets and, you know, who knows if they'll be able to get one of those in January. I think, the, to be honest, I think the, 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 the priority now might actually become a midfielder in January. But again, getting one of those in at the required level is easier said than done. Well, midfielder really should be their priority. But over at Manchester City, now they've spent a lot of money on their squad. And uh, after that loss to Wolves, you'd say the title race is over, I would imagine. Um, where do you think it's all gone wrong? Or you don't think the title race is over? No, I think the title race is absolutely over. I, I think I think if you know, I think if City had a full complement of players and were performing 
uh, week and week out at the level they were last season or the season um, uh, before that, then you you would back them to make a concerted bid to to close the gap over the second half of the season. But for me, there's just too many fault lines in that side, not not least uh, defensively, where you know one sort of um, direct, you know, well weighted, you know, ball ball in behind, and you know opposition. Uh, attacks are routinely uh, exploiting City there. I think if you're going to play as high a defensive line as Manchester City are still doing, then um, you you need defenders with pace and great um, positional sense. And I, I just don't think Guardiola has those available to him. And equally, you know, teams I think are bypassing City's midfield uh, more easily than they have done in uh, in previous years. It, it does feel like teams are working them out a bit more. And and clearly, obviously, Laporte's injuries was a significant blow. They weren't able to, um, or, or they opted not to pay the money for Harry Maguire. And I think failing to replace Vincent Company uh, in the summer was a grave mistake. Left-back's been a, uh, an issue that has been fudging and fudging pretty well for a couple of seasons now, but that's come come back to haunt them and, uh, and, and people like Leroy Sane I think have been a loss because it, it does offer them something different um, going forward but yeah I, th- there are problems there and um, you know I, I know people are aghast when you say that there's a rebuilding job to be done there given the, the, the amount of money that's spent but but there is you know they they, they, they need probably three defenders um, they, if if Sane goes to buy by Munich as expected, they're going to need a they're going to need another wide player. There's doubts over whether Jesus is going to, you know, stay there in the longer term, and and obviously Guerra is not going to any younger. They will need another striker to come in, and David Silva is going to depart. Fernandino's 35 in May. Um, full Foden, much to the mystification of a lot of Manchester City supporters, is still not being given the regular chance he warrants. Um, maybe another midfield arrival. So I, I, th- there, there is a lot of work to do there. Guardiola is insistent he will be around to see that see, see to that job next season. Fran Soriano said of the weekend that Guardiola would absolutely be there. But you know, this is a challenge. You know, we haven't really seen Guardiola rebuild a team before so it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next 12 months at uh, City I'm sure they'll find some money to fix their problems James thanks for joining <laughs> us <laughs> Pleasure, Tom. Thanks, guys. Let's stay up north now and we'll have a word with our Merseyside football correspondent, Chris Bascom. Right, Chris, Merseyside is the place to be and let's start off with someone who's had a very good festive period and that is surely Trent Alexander-Arnold. Absolutely outstanding in that game against Leicester. How pivotal has he been to Liverpool's season so far? Well, yeah, I think over the last... 18 months or two years really Liverpool's style of play has kind of evolved around the two full-backs I think before um, Philip Coutinho was sold to Barcelona everything kind of filtered through him he was the creative force uh, you know the front you know, the front four weren't we the kind of you know fab four whatever you like you know it was Coutinho as soon as he was sold Liverpool really did change or evolve the, the way they played so that was the two full-backs Really, the, the main guys for the assists and, and, and the stats are just credible and, and, and 
Trent is leading the way with that. And Liverpool in general have been on just a, an exquisite ride, but they seem to win games by a narrow margin despite their superiority. Why is that? I just think it's, it's almost like there's a bit of a chameleon-like quality to them this season where whoever they're playing, they just absorb the opposition and play that little bit better. So when they play the, you know, the, the better sides, they've really lifted the level. I think that Liverpool's best performances were against really strong sides. I mean, I, I kind of don't really buy into this idea they're not playing so well. I think, I think they are playing yeah. very well. It, it's just you kind of only only see it maybe you know, the, the, the Tottenham home game springs to mind, Man City at home springs to mind, uh, you know, certainly the Leicester game. And, and I think Bulls also are a really good side. I think they are potential, certainly top six. I think they'll finish in the top six, but they could even go higher than that. And it's a really tough game, you know, anyway, because you think you're all back at the end. But, um, yeah, I think it's almost like the art of doing just enough I think there's something to do that. I think there's so many ways Liverpool come with it. Sometimes they have to remind me a little bit of Mourinho's Chelsea, and other times they remind you of the Guardiola's City. You can sort of like you know, flip between two different styles and get the job done. We're doing good and bad festive periods for everyone, Chris, but it's quite hard to find anything to complain about on Merseyside at the moment. So let's have two goods from yeah. Merseyside. Everton are in great form under Carlo Ancelotti. Is there any chance they can sneak a result against Man City on New Year's Day? Well, I think they're going to win a lot more confidence than they would have done maybe a month ago. And, you know, Ancelotti's just got that X factor, hasn't he? I mean, he, he, it's just as soon as a manager like that walks into the room and, and you just think of what he's achieved, what he's done, and you can see why Everton fans were so enthusiastic about getting a player, uh, a manager of that ilk, because you know, with all due respect to his predecessors, they, they just don't come to the same category. So I, I kind of like that they're going to live, you know, feed off that energy for a while longer. I think it's probably a, a good time for them to go to City because of that. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, they went to Manchester United and people were in a completely different mood and yet they, they, they performed very well there. Um, how long it will last, I think it's only a matter of time before Carl and Chelsea realise the flaws within that squad. There's only going to be so long he's going to sort of give that extra few yards and it'll, it'll make a difference. He's going to have to get more quality in there if he wants to achieve longer-term objectives. But um, for the moment, you know, he's a guy who certainly knows what he's doing and uh, he knows how to get big results. So a lot more optimism at Goodison Park at the moment. The quality that you're talking about, I I agree that they definitely need that. But Calvert-Lewin is looking unbelievable up front. Do you think they can possibly, well, Ancelotti can get more as they can to sort of match the levels that we've seen of him in Italy at least? Well, I think the Calvert Lewin is interesting because he started to show a bit more under Duncan Ferguson, and it does make you wonder perhaps Marco Silva not quite seeing it so much. Yeah. Um, you know, he has got the problem. His problem is with Calvert Lewin is always being a lack of goals, and that's what suddenly he's gone on this nice little run now where the goals are coming. Um, I think it went you know, Carly Ancelotti made those very you know, bold comments about Calvert Lewin. It does make you sit up and notice. You know, well, you know, this is a guy who knows what a striker is. Uh, I still think he'll want more, though. I think I think he'll want another striker. I, mean, I, I don't think Everton have really ever replaced Lukaku, and Calvert Lewin's going to have to do it over a much longer period for people to be convinced he can be the number nine. You know, going into next season as well, but it certainly has the potential there. But I think it's all over the squad. Everton, they never they never signed the centre back when Zuma left. Chelsea, they've obviously lost 
a bit creative midfielder through a long term injury and they need more there. I think they could do with a couple of wingers as well. Yeah. Um, uh, There's just, just very imbalanced squad players who can give you a performance, maybe. Sometimes you get a performance, maybe one every five games from a few players, and really, you know, if you're going to be in top six side, you need, you need, you know, really seven or eight games out of ten to be hitting those levels and. and we will see, I think, over the next 10 games, our evens out. I suspect Evan will still finish around 9th or 10th place. And I'm sure he's not going to gone to Evan to be, to be a mid-table manager. That's not his reputation. That's not what his ambitions will be. I think I've got the solution up front, Chris. Get Big Dunk back on the pitch. He'll <laughs> do a job. He's still there. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, Chris. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. No problem at all. All the best. Hi, I'm Claire Newell. When I tell people I'm the Telegraph's investigations editor, they sometimes ask me if it means I'm a spy and have lots of disguises. And there is a bit of blending into the background, but generally I spend lots of time working with sources, piecing together evidence to reveal wrongdoing and hold the powerful to account. Our stories question, scrutinise and inform. But we can't do that without the support of our subscribers. Their contribution allows us to dedicate time to stories such as our investigation into the allegations that Sir Philip Green had sexually and racially harassed staff. So if you'd like to support what we're doing and get unlimited access to the huge range of quality journalism on politics, sport, business, culture and more, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio where you can get 30 days free access to The Telegraph online. And after that, it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. So, Mina, another good festive period nominee and it is your friend, Graham Potter. Very unfortunate to lose to Spurs on Boxing Day, but Brighton saw off Bournemouth comfortably a couple of days later. They are surely the most improved team of this season. Is he the most impressive manager we've had in the Premier League this Don't season? Don't even say that. Don't. No, I mean, he is a very impressive manager. Who, what, who am I, who am I mugging off? it's Chris Wilder. Oh, Wilder, of course, sorry. <laughs> Wilder's so the manager of the season. Come on, Sheffield United. Okay. Um, but Potter is very impressive. And when you consider that in April, they were thrashed by Bournemouth 5-0. And now they're the ones, you know, winning the game and impressive throughout, always playing good football. Um... You know, last year they were... Ju- I, I don't know whether it was just that they were so tragic last year that, you know, they were not even averaging a goal a game. But this is, you know, what you like so much about Graham Potter is just his face when um, Ali Rose Yehanbach actually scored. And he just was like, oh, yeah, that's so nice for him. You know, he just looked genuinely pleased for his, for his players. And I think that's what it is. He shows a great faith. You can see sort of the humanity of the man. And players want to play for him. They feel safe under him. And they're willing to do what it takes. And I do think there is some talent in there. Aaron Moy got his first goal. It's weird that, you know, like we've waited so long for him to do that because he's just been the player to really watch the season. But the confidence is growing um, within the side. It's growing within certain players and you hope that they'll kick off. But the squad, despite the fact there is talent, there's not that much of um, great balance within it. So I don't know how far they can really do. I think he's doing a tremendous job so far, but 
I feel like if you stick with him for a while, he can only build on this. What I really like about him is I get the sense he's building his career very intelligently. I don't get the feeling he sees Brighton as a stepping stone. I think he knows he's got a wonderful setup there. The stadium's brilliant. The infrastructure's sensible. The ownership have been supportive. And, you know, Hewton, the sacking was harsh, but ultimately it seems to have been a really wise, uh, clear-headed decision to change and get Potter while they could. I think he's there for the long term, and I think oh, that, that's really exciting for Brighton. I bet their fans are... Very, very happy indeed going into the new year. A bad festive period, though, for our old friend, VAR. Please start the clock, Joel. Do oh, we really only have a minute if it's, it's really? Oh, it's, it's got to be because I'm so, so tired of this, Mina. When we look back on 2019 and we've got all these pixelated grabs that are on social media after every televised game of armpits that are basically next to each other and these thick yellow lines and the ball that's a blur because the technology's not up to it, we are surely going to wonder how on earth did we get to this position with this? It's been so poorly managed and implemented. I think what it is is that uh, the VAR technology, you sort of understand it. I think that what it's brought into light is the fact is we have an understanding of football that's based on the spirit of the game. And what you get with technology is that you have to have black and white things. And that makes it really frustrating because then it is about armpits and it is about drawing lines. And, and there's margin for error because we're humans, right? But... I think at the end of the day, all these decisions are right. We don't want to accept them because we're, we just don't think they're within the spirit of the game. So it's a little bit like, okay, if you know his toenails really offside, should it really not matter? There's so many marginal decisions that we saw over the weekend. It's like when you watch Celtics and, and Rangers, right? And not that this is a game that Celtics I was wanted to watch, but it, I saw the highlights and it looked like there was so much passion there. You know, there was just no VAR. Everyone was just celebrating as normal. Look at that, Mina. You segued out of the VAR section into a discussion about Scottish football. What a professional. <laughs> Where's JJ when you need him? Let's head down to the South Coast now and talk to our friend Jeremy Wilson. Jeremy, tell us about a team that has had a very good festive period, Southampton. How lucky are they to have Danny Ings at the moment? Surely an England call-up is in the post for him soon. <laughs> There's a lot of good England strikes, isn't there, with Rat, you know, Rashford scoring a lot of goals, and or forwards, I suppose, Sterling, Kane... Um, Vardy maybe if he decides to come out of international retirement but we were, I was looking at the stats and actually he's 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 second on the goal scoring list amongst English strikers behind only Vardy so of those available he's level with Rashford but has a better goals per minute so of those available to Southgate he's actually got the the most prolific strike rate in the Premier League, which would probably surprise people a bit because he's gone a bit, gone fairly under the radar. Just, um, just very, very good finisher is is the the thing. I mean, I wouldn't say his all-round game, for, from what I've seen, is is what stands out hugely. But just has a real sixth sense around the penalty area. On Saturday, picked up uh, a stray back pass from Martin Kelly, which he's done a few times this year. He really presses the defence and um, and isn't missing many chances. So uh, yeah, he's not, I wouldn't have thought he... I'm sure the way Gareth Southgate looks at it and he's not he's prepared to to sometimes go for players who are who are a little bit out of the limelight and and obviously Callum Wilson's not having such a good season at Bournemouth who's been in the squad quite a lot um it doesn't you know it feels like it wouldn't be impossible but he he probably has timed it during a period where England have a reasonable number of of, and obviously uh, Tammy Abraham as well so it is he's he's possibly timed it not as well as maybe a year or two ago he, he would have had a better chance 
Okay, you must be seriously impressed with the way that they've been doing recently. Um, I was somebody who, when they had gotten destroyed, was like, yeah, yeah, you need to get rid of Hasenhutl now. Um, but they do have some <laughs> tough uh, tough games coming up. Spurs, Leicester, Wolves. How do you think they should approach those games? Yeah, I feel like Hasenhutl is... The, I've always sort of thought that he is actually the one. I mean, sometimes it's the first thing you look at is the manager, but I kind of think that he's the one big positive. He's the biggest positive, one of the biggest positives of it like Danny Ings around the place. I don't think I don't think he, he's the the issue even when when the club was struggling because he's not really had much money to spend. He's he's only been in the club a year and he's really from a, a team that was looking like it was heading towards relegation last year. He turned it round. He's not really you know he, he's doing what he's doing largely with his work on the training pitch. So I think it was always unrealistic to suddenly expect a big sort of kick forward. Um, this season, so I think that he's. A, I think he's a real asset to the club. To be honest, I think if there was a different manager, I'd be more more fearful. Uh, in terms of the games coming up, I th- the funny thing with Southampton, they're a little bit like um, a sort of Crystal Palace or a. I'm trying to think of the teams that are uh, sort of their away record. Chelsea perhaps is better at the moment. They're, they're, they seem a little bit more comfortable when they're when they don't have to make the game where they can sort of um, you know. Their, their, defen- their defensive organisation has improved in the last few weeks and then sort of playing a bit more. Their, their main strength is sort of pressing out of possession and then and then breaking with Ings. With Ings, obviously, very prolific at the moment. And Nathan Redmond and Gineppo, he's, he's, he, he gives some pace. So they're that type of team where, where they're where their record is actually better away than it is at home. So actually playing against the teams that are lower in the division is not necessarily a guarantee of more points. So sometimes I think in a game, Southampton would be more effective when they've played better teams for that reason. So they've got a pretty terrible home record. I think it's the second worst in the division. But the fact that it's Tottenham on New Year's Day might not be such a bad thing because obviously the onus will be more on Tottenham to, to come forward. And you know, it's obviously a difficult game and they'll be second favourites. But uh, in some respects, that's easier for the way they're set up than Crystal Palace was, where, where they're the real sort of masters of, of being well organised and being dangerous at set pieces and on the break. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of team Southampton are at the moment, which I think is usually, if you get that right, it's usually enough to, to stay up. But um, it means that games against teams around you, especially at home, can be a lot more awkward and sort of painful for the fans than um, perhaps they, you, you would ideally hope. You don't have to travel far down the south coast to find a team who've had a less good Christmas period <laughs> in Bournemouth, Jeremy. Got a draw with Arsenal, but lost to Brighton. They're on a bad run. Would it be criminal to suggest they might look for a change in manager? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Just out of... Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's quite hard to overemphasize the uh, you know and I, I know you can't sort of live off your past record but I think also that should mean something and in Eddie Howe you're talking about a figure that uh, Bournemouth that is on a sort of par with a I don't know whoever you want to pick from other clubs you know their their greatest ever manager there'll be a statue probably of him outside the stadium one day I mean he's that that revered in Bournemouth he's and 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 
so, so they've had, so they're on a bad run. There is an explanation as well, which is an enormous amount of injuries. So it's I know that injuries sort of will probably make people's ears shut down a little bit because every manager appears to use that a lot. But they have had an unusual number of injuries in the last few months. So and given that Bournemouth's history in the Premier League, there's always been long sequences in each of the seasons where they've had a, a bad run and then come out of it and and stayed up. You'd, uh, yeah, I think you would, and, and then and then when you consider who, who what, what Eddie Howe sort of done at the club, yeah, I, I think it would be a bit criminal. <laughs> so I suggest he should, he should, he, he should. But but you know, it, I do think that the situation they're in now is probably the most dangerous they've been in because um, a lot of the injuries are quite long term, so it doesn't sort of feel like. Um, players, major players are going to come back that quickly. And, in, and then even if they do, it's where, where, they, where they've been long term, it, it, it can often be the next season before they're sort of properly right again. And, and so that's the concern that even if people come back, whether, they're, whether they can sort of get up to the level by the end of the season. And then the other issue is they're just as bubbling away behind the scenes. Um, a sort of something that Bournemouth have been very good at avoiding is uncertainty around key players. Obviously, Ryan Fraser's had a contract at the end of the season, and he's, it, you know, it's it's hard to be definitive about it. But you you sense some tension around that situation, and how he's been in and out of the team. He's not been the player he was last year. They've got they may have a decision to make in January of whether to take some amount of money for him. Um, or do you, do you keep him because you know if he if he produces a few goals and assists, then that 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 might outweigh what 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 limited fee you would get in January. I think there's a sort of an acceptance he's likely to leave in the summer, whatever happens. But that you know that just creates a sort of bad a, a, a bad vibe around the club that 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 situation. And then Nathan Aki as well. That Chelsea have got this release clause, and there's always that sort of feeling that they might. Especially now the transfer ban's been lifted, they might they might come in and um, Bournemouth are not you know, don't have any real control over that situation because of the way that the deal was done. There was a set in in him going to Bournemouth. There was a set buyback fee that Chelsea could um, activate if if he wanted to come back. So um, those situations are unhelpful as well for Bournemouth. So I do think this is the biggest challenge that Eddie Howe's had since he's since he's got Bournemouth up to the Premier League. I suppose we should have some perspective of, you know, minus whatever points it was in League Two and um the club basically going out of existence in terms of saying it's his greatest ever challenge, but certainly since the Premier League time I think this is the biggest challenge and it's a really precarious situation. Especially now, you know, you, there's sort of signs, particularly at Watford, it it, it sort of feels like there's not any certainty about um, the teams around them, and it's all very tight as well. And, and when you're when you are one of those teams that are just on a horrible run, and it's it's that it's hard to see that much light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. But overall, I do sort of how so good on the training pitch and very good at sort of shutting out all these issues. I do think he will he will find a way to revive the season but it's 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 tough at the moment all right jeremy we'll monitor that with interest just please don't tell anyone in bournemouth that i might have suggested maybe it's time <laughs> to change manager thanks for joining us all right thanks Tom. right a few more things to cover mina which didn't fit into our improvised format about good and bad festive periods what about chelsea the hardest team to work out in the Premier League, I think. They were fantastic against Spurs. They were decent tactical change against Arsenal to get the result. And they lost at home to Southampton. What do you make of them? 
They're a young squad. Young squads can't be anything. They can't be consistent. They can try as much as they like, but they're also a squad that changes their back line sometimes. You know, Lampard makes quick and swift reactions, which worked out against Arsenal, who sometimes still have a destructive personality to them. Um, but I do think that with kids, you know, you're not entirely sure they're always going to get it right. And you don't want them to because you just want them to grow at this point. Uh, they are... They were fantastic to watch in the second half against Arsenal. I think that you saw the best of Lampard. You saw how you you saw Abraham getting the goal that everyone talked about against a big team, and I think they can you know grow on from here. But I'm not going to expect them to just go on a run where they get you know ten wins in a row because I think that's not feasible for a side that's growing like Chelsea. But you never know what the market will open up to them. Yeah, I think that's dead right. It's all about the inexperience, isn't it? It's the only way you can explain the inconsistency in the results. What about Arsenal? Have they been a little bit unlucky so far under Mikel Arteta? Have you have you seen anything from how he's set them up to make you think he's the guy for the long-term future there? Yeah, it's weird, actually. You know, when, when Zinedine Zidane first came in after Rafa Benitez, it just looked like a side that, you know, could really grow onto him, but they looked a little bit physically exhausted and they weren't trained perhaps properly enough for what what he wanted. And it looked at Arteta and the way they sort of fell apart in the second half and they had to fall a bit deeper because they couldn't match that intensity of the first half. You felt sorry for him, but at the same time, you can really see the plan that he's got. I was really impressed because I thought for sure this isn't going to be a good idea. I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh yeah, let's bring in more inexperience. But actually Arteta really knows what he's doing. He seems to be making the most of the talents he has. But what about you? Do you think that this is too soon that we're just thinking, yeah, he, you know, it's all wonderful, but that they're still Arsenal, they still fall apart. It's just going to be a really tricky thing for them to manage, isn't it? Because their fans have got to accept that they are no longer a team that is realistically going to be challenging for the, the league. Certainly not in the short term. They're going to be. It's going to take a really good season for them, based on the opponents they have in the league, to be challenging to get back into the Champions League places. You almost feel like you have to psychologically just adjust the whole mindset of all the supporters in the club and be like, look, it it might be 8th to 11th in the next few years while we sort this out because it feels like there needs to be a seismic change in their attitude and they need to find a new blueprint for the new decade. But why not Arteta? You know, I think um, what's been shown this year by Lampard, who let's remember has some incredibly talented players at his disposal, has quite a lot of experience yeah. to get... He's been brilliant now. He's brought through the youth, but he's got Willian and Kante uh, who've, who've got bundles of experience who he can anchor the team around. You look at the Arsenal squad and wonder where that is because although there are players who've got a lot of Premier League appearances, they haven't always shown that leadership no. and that ability to <laughs> perform <laughs> right, uh, and perform through adversity. So he's got a big job on his hands, but I'd like to see him given time, but it's just about how they manage that poison that seems to engulf the club um, often without enormous provocation but I suppose it's hard when you've been that good to be bang average again finally what about Tottenham Hotspur beat Brighton but weren't very good uh, only managed to draw against Norwich is the Jose honeymoon over already no I don't think so um I thought that what was interesting um, in this last match that they played was that they didn't do it with a dyer or, or sort of that defensive player in the middle. Um, that Ntongi Ndombele did get a chance to actually show you what he's about. And he's not necessarily, he's, he's not really a defensive figure because he's never needed to be. You know, the French League is very different in the sense that he was allowed to sort of, you know, show you the ability of his talent. And that meant, you know, 
passing the ball, um, delivering these wonderful, his vision coming into play. And he didn't really do the dirty work as much as he needs to do it now. Um, but again, you can see how much the side really needs Ericsson when he's on it, when he's in it. He really just does so much for the team from an attacking level. They were actually building from deep, but at the same time, they lost a little bit of their balance. So I think what Jose Mourinho is trying to do is find alternatives to his style of play because it's a little bit stodgy when he's just got these two pivots all the time. Um, he's trying to expand above it but uh, and beyond it, but at the you can see that there isn't there are problems within the squad. They do need other players coming into it. Um but I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm quite optimistic when it comes to him at that job. You you don't You're you're quite team Jose though, aren't you? I you know, I never thought I was, but I always feel like, you know, I, I didn't like him at United. I felt like he complained so much about everything that was going on. But on this you you know what it is with Mourinho, you just trust him. That's you have a level of trust for him. You, it's not always going to be pretty. Sometimes he really frustrates you with what he tries to do in midfield, but you trust him to get a good job done. I would just like to avoid a situation where he becomes that miserable again because it yeah. genuinely was a struggle to watch that at <sighs> Manchester United at times. The press conferences, the interviews, just the sourness of the fella. Like it's really hard to see someone who seems that unhappy and that bitter about everything. It's tedious, and you know he's got it in his locker to not be that guy. He's, he seems to have had a little bit of that sparkle back already but you see it already don't you in some of the interviews after the results that haven't gone their way and you think oh just can it buddy right let's finish up the year with a question we put to our friends on social media which is what is your footballing new year's resolution we had a few responses to this adrian who i really like based on this answer says he would like to ask those supporters who when their team is going through a bad patch in my instance the mighty cherries up the cherries in all departments all they want it's to badmouth players and sack the manager. It's not supportive and I don't get it. Not really a resolution, but I love the sentiment. Joshua says, get a referendum on Premier League VAR, uh, <laughs> which is one of the few broadcastable tweets we had about VAR. Again, not really a resolution, but fine. Just wish fulfillment. And continuing that theme, Chrissy G says, Emil Heskey out of retirement and returning to Leicester. I mean, if that was your New Year's resolution, I'm not sure how you would accomplish that. What's your footballing New Year's resolution, Mina? For me, I think it's just that I want to watch more games in the championship because I actually yes. don't watch that. Yes. And and then all, when all these teams get you know promoted, then I'm just like, oh, what are these teams like? And then I have to go back and start, you know. I can't offer you a team that's going to get promoted, but come down to QPR. We'll have a lovely time. Oh. <laughs> what about yours? Mine, genuinely, I'm not just saying this yes. um, uh, to, to suck up to you, but it's um, to watch, watch more Serie A. <laughs> Absolutely love Syria, especially that ridiculous Sunday morning game that's on at like 11.30 in front of about 12 people. Like Sassuolo versus Empoli. Yes, please. Wait, are either of those teams in Syria anymore? Well, Sassuolo is not Empoli. Okay, well, 50-50. That's why I need to watch more. That's your lot for today and for the year. We'll be back on it on the 6th of January. Every Monday we'll be with you just like always. Contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before then. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. The email address, I'm sure you know it now, afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Why not treat yourself to a New Year's subscription to Audio Football Club? Look for Audio Football Club where you get your podcasts. Click or tap with your clever finger the subscribe button. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. Happy New Year. I'll talk to you in 2020. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 